Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 251. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Here we go. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Release date, November 26, 1986. Directed by Leonard Nimoy. Produced by Harv Bennett. Story by Harv Bennett and Leonard Nimoy. Screenplay by Steve Mearson, Peter Crikes, Nicholas Meyer, and Harv Bennett. Music composed by Leonard Rosenman. Cast includes William Shatner as James T. Kirk. Leonard Nimoy as Spock. DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy. James Doohan as Montgomery Scott. George Takei as Ukaro Sulu. Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov, Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, and Catherine Hicks as Dr. Jillian Taylor. In 2286, an enormous probe moves through space, sending out an indecipherable signal and disabling the power of every ship it passes. As it takes up orbit around Earth, its signal disables the global power, power grid and generates planetary storms, creating catastrophic sun-blocking cloud cover. Starfleet Command sends out a planetary distress call and warns all space-faring vessels not to approach Earth. On the planet Vulcan, the former officers of the late USS Enterprise are living in exile following the events on the planet Genesis. Spock, still recovering from his resurrection, chooses to accompany the crew and their captured Klingon bird of prey to Earth to face trial for their actions. Receiving Starfleet's warning, Spock determines the probe's signal matches the song of an extinct humpback whale, and the object will continue to wreak havoc until it is, its call is answered. I have no choice. I must destroy the probe before it destroys Earth. To attempt to do so would be futile, Admiral. The probe could render us neutral easily. I can't just turn away. There must be an alternative. There is one possibility, but of course I cannot guarantee success. We could attempt to find some humpback whales. You just said there aren't any, except on Earth of the past. Yes, Dodger. That is exactly what I said. Well, in that case... Now wait just a damn Spock, minute. start your computations for time warp. Bones, you come with me. Steve, why don't you start us on Star Trek IV? Yeah, um, so I I suspect I've probably seen this this Star Trek movie more than any other original series Star Trek movie. And I think it's because we had, uh, growing up, just a handful of um, movies on VHS in our household. And it kind of, the collection grew over time. It was my parents' collection primarily. My dad was a Star Trek fan and whatnot. He is a Star Trek fan. But, uh, you know, so I think I, I was quite familiar with this, but it has been very long since I've seen it. It's probably been somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Oh, my God. It's been between 15. Like, it's been over 15 years since you've watched this movie? Pro- probably. Probably. Oh so, yeah. Wow. Okay. Because I do. I, I'm not. I'm reasonably certain I did not watch it when the Blu-rays came out, but I know I would have when the DVDs came out. And that's why I just guessed that. But I'm not sure. But yeah, it's. Uh, I watched it with my wife. She had never seen it before. I was kind of wondering if she had seen it. Like maybe you've seen this and didn't know it, you know, kind of thing. Because that's that's kind of one of those things. You know, if you're old enough, you, it may be one of those because it's such a popular film. You know, like a like a favorite amongst just the general populace and whatnot. Yeah, do give us uh, her review. Yeah, so I mean, she thought it was it was a lot of fun and laughed a lot. Very, you know, very funny and you know, it's, uh, enjoyable and this kind of thing. And uh, I mean, that's generally what it was. You know, I mean, she she thought she she liked it. Um, I think you know, I, I my perspective on it. I mean, since it's been 
I mean, like I said, I'm guessing, but it's, it's probably been quite some time since I've seen it again was, you know, I, I was entertained by it, but it struck me so much how it did not feel like a Star Trek movie. It felt like it feels so much like it's just a movie from the mid eighties that's comedic and whatnot. And you put Star Trek people in it a little bit, you know, and I'm not saying that's all bad, you know, but it does feel so different in so many ways from, uh, I don't know, just the, just kind of the, um, general feel of what you're used to and in, in a movie that's primarily sci-fi drama with a little bit of comedy. I think when it's all out, you know, the comedy play is so much an element of it. And of course, so much of the, so much of it is in uh, you know, current day as of when the movie was shot, that it's, it's just so different. It's, it's so unusual, but anyway, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of the camaraderie is what the best part, you know, everyone having a good time, splitting into teams, doing their thing. And, and, you know, um, having a, a a movie that's so comedy oriented and that's so unusual. I mean, if it was like the only Star Trek movie, obviously that'd be a different story, but, um, but you know, I, I enjoy watching it and have fun with it. You know, it just, it, it feels, it feels very much, like I said, as far as the, uh, it feeling not, not so much like a Star Trek movie. It feels like I'm like a eighties fun comedy movie. You know, that's what, that's what it feels like first. And then it's, then it's Star Trek movie. That that's, that's just kind of my, my take on it, you know, but uh, I still enjoy it. You know, it's interesting that there are so many things about it that make it so different. Well, for example, I think another thing uh, that makes it feel so different is Rosin Leonard Rosenman's score. It's completely unlike any other music ever written for Star Trek. It makes it feel weirdly, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say dated, but kind of out of time in a weird way. But yeah, there, but in the same way that, that it being almost a comedy first, a fish out of water thing, um, it doesn't have a villain. The story, when you think about it, is really bonkers. Um, I mean, great, but bonkers. Um, uh, there's just so many things that, yes, make it, it doesn't necessarily feel like a Star Trek movie. But what always surprised me was how this movie was by far the most successful Star Trek film up until um, J.J.'s film in 2009. And yet they never made another movie like this. Like, why didn't... I mean, I'm not saying they want, they, they should have, and I'm glad they didn't. I, I, I am saying I'm glad they didn't. But I'm just surprised why Paramount wasn't like, oh, no, we're just going to make Star Trek four again. We want movie, all the movies to be like this. Right? Why wouldn't they do that when it made so much money? Mm -hmm. It was so right. successful for the very reasons that you're talking about, Steve, as far as it pulled in non-Star Trek people. You know, I remember, um, this is the first one I really consciously remember seeing on screen. I remember talking to my cousins who were like teenage girls and they went to see this movie. Um, and believe me, I'm positive they had never seen a Star Trek movie before or I'm sure after. Like they were asking me questions about... Kirk and Spock and stuff like that. they didn't mm -hmm. understand the characters, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if so much of the time Paramount's talked about that they want, I mean, they brought JJ because they wanted to, they want to bring other people in, they want these kind of this kind of box office, and yet they they never made another movie remotely like this. That I am that always surprised me. But yeah, it definitely feels unlike any other Star Trek film. Uh, Adam, your first thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd have to agree with um what you guys have said. I think, um, I think fours, I mean, it's definitely a product of, of con and, um, search for Spock. Um, those two movies were, you know, we talked about them, you know, in the previous episodes, there's a lot of, there's high drama. Um, there's a lot of cost for the characters in each of those movies and they're heavy. 
really, I mean, you know, they're excellent movies and they're heavy. You know, if you haven't listened to the episodes, go back and hear us talk about it. I don't want to go too much into that. But I think Star Trek Four is definitely a product of that. I remember, um, you know, at the end of, you know, the search for Spock, you know, seeing interviews on Entertainment Tonight and that kind of thing, you know, like, oh, are we, you know, what's going to happen? So, I mean, in a weird way, it kind of cliffhangered it. And so I think that attributed to the success of Four. And if you think about the mid-80s, you know, 80, this came out in 86, um, you know, home video was starting to become really popular. So I think a lot of people probably had seen Khan and Star Trek Three by this point that maybe not had seen it in the theater. So that kind of gave this movie a, a bounce. You know, it's like, okay, the crew, they're, you know, they're, they, they're going to be court-martialed. What's going to happen to them? They're on Vulcan. So there was a good lead into this movie. And I think the reason that they decided to kind of make... I think it works. The lightheartedness of this movie works because of of Khan and Search for Spock, and it and it's and it's a feel good movie, uh, you know, at the end of this you know so called trilogy for um, Star Trek. But I think what I, I think what I enjoyed most of it. I mean, this is probably the closest you'll get to an ensemble movie with the original cast, um, and from the original movies. You know, primarily, you know, the the story focuses around you know. Um, Kirk or Spock, you know, Bones gets in there. But I mean, you really, I really felt like um, the other cast, they had things to do in this movie that were important. You know, they just weren't at their post, you know, you know, relaying orders or firing photon torpedoes. And it made it really nice. It kind of, uh, like I said, it's the closest thing to ensemble you'll see with the original cast. And it kind of, they felt, it felt kind of like a family because it's just them. And like you mentioned, Brian, there's no villain that they're fighting. They're, um, they're, um, fighting you know basically human stupidity in this movie is kind of you know they they, they kind of you know they you know the whales were extinct you know pollution that kind of thing so that kind of seems to be the underlying villain but we'll we'll get into what it's about later but those were my thoughts on it and i think that's why it was so successful um um for this movie but it's it wouldn't work as, as a standalone movie from, from my point of view, this as a standalone movie. It wouldn't work, you know, and since Star Trek four, each Star Trek movie has just been a standalone. There's been no kind of like multi-story theme that's gone through a couple different movies. So um, I don't think a lighthearted movie like this would work just by itself for Star Trek. Well, one of the reasons I was surprised to hear Steve say that he hasn't watched it in so many years, you know, this is, they they call it i've heard people call it the accidental trilogy but god so many times i've just watched star trek's two three and four Mm -hmm. for the kind of reasons you were just talking about adam two is the the darker one uh four is the lighter one three is the the perfect little bridge between them and it's just all it's such a satisfying kind of movie marathon to just watch two three and four um I've I've watched those three movies together so many times. I I, I mean it would be like watching. I, I don't know that I ever watch, uh, you know, just three by itself or four by itself. Maybe a couple of times I've watched two by itself because of some screenings I went to and stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm just watching two, three, four, right? So that's why I was surprised because I mean because clearly you have not done that. Yeah, in fifteen plus years. Well, it's 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 certainly it sounds like an enjoyable endeavor. (laughs) You know, I think just watching other things. You know, just I agree that it doesn't exactly stand alone. Like I wouldn't watch four by itself. I I watch two, three, and four. Um, 
And by the time you get to the end there, it's such a satisfying you know, moment at the end. It, but it's it's a fair it's a fair point to say that it, I mean I think I think the movie stands on its own, but uh, tonally, uh, thematically, it works a little bit better being so un-Star Trek-like as the end of that trilogy. Uh, we've all gotten so used to the trilogy concept in film and stuff, but Star Trek, unlike a lot of other IP, you know, Paramount's just. I guess I complain about this a lot, but they they don't have enough faith in it. They don't, you know, they won't. It's hard to get them to commit to something like a trilogy in the way that Universal will for Fast and the Furious or Disney would for uh, Star Wars or Avatar. I don't know. Paramount, even though they have very few franchises, they've really just got Star Trek and Mission Impossible. They've they've committed to multi-movies uh, story arcs for Mission Impossible, but they're not going to do that for Star Trek. So we haven't really gotten that. Even even during this, for this trilogy, it wasn't like at the beginning of Star Trek 2, they said, you're going to get two more movies. No, they never knew. Well, you got to think, I mean, you know, what what was the, the first, you know, trilogies were kind of just starting to get underway in the 70s and 80s. I mean, um, by this, what, by 86, you'd obviously had the, the first three Star Wars that had come out, and that was kind of like the gold standard sci-fi trilogy i mean godfather was successful with um with a sequel so i mean you know sequels weren't sequels and especially trilogies weren't something that were even common back then so i mean yeah you're you're right brian this was this this was really an accidental trilogy because what i was watching the the interviews with um bennett and you know he was saying you know after wrath of Khan, they called him hey we want to do another movie and so that's where they wasn't like they had a plan in place to to do all this they kind of just patched it together from um patch the next movie together from what they did in the previous one and it it, it worked um but um you mean you know that back then it wasn't there wasn't really like a lot of plans for how to do sequels or trilogies and that kind of thing it was kind of a new concept as opposed to like you know the 50s and 60s where they kind of had the serials but that was like a series that went on can you imagine going into paramount and saying all right so i've got an idea for a movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's going to be this probe that's going to drain everybody's power, and then we're going to go back in time and find a couple of whales and bring them forward in time. <laughs> Stop the power drain or something. I mean, it's so <laughs> like, what are you smoking? That's like... well, it's kind of weird because we've been watching these movies, you know, fairly close together, you know, and it's you know the plot. There's similar plot lines in four to to the motion picture. You know, you got this big huge probe coming to Earth to make some sort of contact so i mean it, it's got some plot similarities to the motion picture it's such a funny thing how it, it's kind of it kind of gives credence to the notion of just going all in right because if you if you just went like part way with this it just would be too i mean you know from the get-go there's so much ludicrous stuff that you've got to get so just fun crazy with it for it to for it to sell you know otherwise it would have just been like what on earth is going on here you know like from the like at the very start i'm thinking like he's saying oh it's been three months we've been on here in vulcan or whatever they're saying and they're all wearing the same uniforms and stuff no one took a bath you know i mean there's these these things popping in my head like why is this why are we still here why are they really not sending something to bring them home in they're really saying come home in this uh klingon ship i mean there's so many goofy things from the get-go but then you quickly don't care because it's just such a 
this crazy bit, here comes this big cigar coming toward earth and it's uh, blowing up everything and we got to go get some whales. It, it just, but, but somehow you just don't, you don't really care that it's a little ludicrous. You know, you just kind of roll with it and it's so fun and the interaction between the characters, and the comedic stuff, you know, I, I think it, I think it kind of shows you how just, just come up with something, go all in, you know, if you, if you pull it off and all the characters seem real, you know, the interactions and whatnot, I mean, I think it's going to be all right. And I think, think you're right, Steve, about that. I mean, you know, you, early on in the movie, you know, it, they bring it back to the characters pretty quick. Um, and, they, and they start off with Spock, you know, you see that he's not right. He's going through his studies and he has that scene with his mother, whether she's asking him how he feels and, you know, he's not quite understanding, standing that. So I, I like that, you know, you know, you just don't get Spock back you don't get like you know spock from the wrath of khan back immediately he so it brings it back to the characters and you know you have the nice scene with mccoy and spock where they're talking when they first go back and and you know you, you I, at least i did i felt like you know their their connection that's kind of what made this movie you're right you know they they you know i think once they decided hey you know we we brought spock back to life now we can do anything let's just go back in time and get whales they'd already kind of jumped the shark on that but i mean it's I think it's the characters that bring it back to the movie, and that's why it's successful in this in this film. I, I do think, though, like giving these actors real things to do beyond Shatner, Nimoy, and D. Kelly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're good. I think they're all legit funny. You know, Nimoy and, and D. Kelly are really funny together. Some of their stuff on the bridge, like on the way and things. But I think everybody's funny. You know, we we all have quoted Jimmy Doohan saying, "Hello, computer." <laughs> I still do that, you know, <laughs> or my God, the nuclear vessels was, I mean, that was like a, whatever they called a meme in the eighties. Everybody knew that. And, but I think they're, I think they're good and I think they're funny. And I, I've always been surprised how, you know, the average person likes this movie, but like Star Trek fans, how many Star Trek fans I've met that dislike this, like actively dislike this movie or maybe even hate it. And I've never understood that. I've never understood that. I'm sure maybe it's not your favorite, but like thinking it's bad or disliking it, I that I've never gotten. You know, I've never understood that. It it's just it's our core characters. It's fun. Even even if you're like, well, it doesn't feel like a Star Trek movie. Okay. Is that a reason? I mean, now now tell me whatever movie it feels like, do you think it's good? Is it is it fun? I mean, cuz I do. Even if you say it feels like an a yada yada movie, well, it's a great yada yada movie. I think it's I think it's good. I think it's fun. And it's a good conclusion to the storyline that they had going on here. I mean, it's it's a conclusion movie. It's a third act of of, of the story that they were t- telling that started with Khan. And it, I, I, you know, I don't know how you cannot be satisfied at the end of this where they're all, you know, showing up and they see the you know new Enter- Enterprise A. And um, yeah, it's it feels good at the end. Um, so I don't know why you would hate it, but I agree with you, Brian. You know, I may not be your favorite but it's a good conclusion to this um to this um story that they were telling i think there may be you know fans or uh, fans of anything really it's not just star trek fans fans of anything that um i don't know they they feel like their territory is being you know infringed upon if enough people if it gets popular enough i think that's just a normal thing you know um if or people, or even if it's a very popular uh, franchise, whatever someone's interested in, if if someone who just likes it because it's 
got explosions or something and they don't know all the ins and out of it. There's fans that get turned off by that. Probably some of that's that kind of thing, you know, just, you know, I invest all this time and energy in this. And, uh, if it's, if it's going to have something that's, that's accessible, well, you know, that means a bunch of people are going to ask me a bunch of crazy questions and it's clear. I know, you know, I don't know. I think there's, there's a subset of fans that are that way. And that's probably what's going on here. Steve on your, um, suspense of disbelief mine was when with the the cloak ship in the middle of the park i'm like does, does nobody use in that oh, park? yeah and, yeah and then, and then when they're putting the glass in the broad daylight <laughs> you know the big, <laughs> right. the big huey helicopter those things are not quiet so it's like they would be it's you yeah know, it's not like they were out in the middle of nowhere they were in golden gate park which is a pretty popular not to mention transparent aluminum is just so bizarre you can't just transport it out of wherever it is you know that kind of thing but yeah yeah, there's lots of that kind of stuff, but that's the thing. It's it's it, that 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 is the probably besides the uh, the characters and their interactions and and all of that. I think that that's which we've already alluded to the 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 tone consistency here is what helps that you know because if you have something that's just light, you know, even at its heaviest, it's light. You can do stuff that's a little bit nutty, and you don't get questions about it. You know, just staying consistent. You know, but they still they still had limits and. You know, it's not like they just went hog wild nutty. This movie, for a time, was going to have you know Eddie Murphy instead of Catherine Hicks yeah. as like the Doctor. Can you imagine? Wow. I mean, I love Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy was a massive star in the '80s. I'm sure Paramount would have put him in anything, but that would have been way more over the top tonally, right? I mean, he wasn't going to be that. That part was very different. He was he was like nutty. So I don't think that they went over the top. I think that they they just knew they could go a lot farther than any of us thought you could in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, and the, those scenes with Kirk and her are, are good. The dinner scenes, it's amusing. You know, we talked I about. think the dinner scene is great, and I think that the, the, the scene in the truck, the, the scene tr- in the pickup the, truck is great. Yeah, I thought that scene is so right. good. It's great. And she's really good, and the writing is good. It's so hard to have like such a long scene, the truck scene and the restaurant dinner scene, but uh, such a long scene with kind of like exposition and stuff, and it's in, it's incredibly entertaining, especially the truck scene. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that Kirk, you know, Nimoy and um, Shatner together, you know, even starting on the bus when they, you know, when they kind of went off on their own, I mean, bus scene and, you know, talking about, um, guess what is it? Modern pop, the language and pop culture, the giants, the, time, the giants, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, they should have mentioned like, um, authors that were more familiar at the time. I'm like, who are those people? So anyway, I have to say, uh, so I went to the, the, the Cetacean Institute is not really called that. The actual place, it's in it's the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Uh, and I went there a couple of years ago because, honestly, because it was the place from Star Trek IV. And I had my, had my picture taken in a few spots where they shot some scenes. But it was very disappointing. One, that huge area where the whales actually are, that's not water. There's no water there. It's just, that's just rocks. They, they comped all that in. And nowhere in the entire place is there any mention of Star Trek IV. Aww. I was like, what? How is yeah, it not at least nuts. like a plaque or something? You know, he's, nothing he's in the gift shop. You see to put a plaque there. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Not a, not a mention. Not a mention. Uh, so, yeah, you know, talking about everybody getting the kind of their moment. For most of them, I mean, Jimmy Dewan, uh, Walter Koenig, you know, his moment uh, when he's captured the interrogation scene. Can I go now? 
that's like his high point of, in all of Star Trek for me. Mm-hmm. I think I would say that about Jimmy Doohan, you know. I remember when I saw, I remember one of the time when I saw Jimmy Doohan at a tiny little, I mean, not really even a convention. It was just like an appearance that he, at a, at a hotel where he talked for an hour and signed some autographs or something like that in Austin in the 90s, you know, and somebody asked him to, to say the line, Admiral, there'd be whales here. And he did it with gusto. But in all of Star Trek, that's the line somebody wanted to hear him say. <laughs> You know, so he he has his moment in this show. George and Gracie. <laughs> I like Rosenman's uh, Russian theme for when Chekhov is escaping, trying to escape the Navy vessel. <laughs> I always like that. I love the shot of the the bird of prey over the whaling ship. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Some mm-hmm. of the editing there is a little bit odd. Like the ship doesn't it doesn't make sense the geography of the when it would cut back to the ship, to the whaling ship, it's like, well, that's not where it was. I don't know, stuff like that. But the kind of stuff that you only notice when you've watched it like a billion times. But uh, but I like that moment. I like that ship. You know, it, it's really amazing that they made this like big budget movie that ha- really has comments on, I mean, a hot topic at the time and still is, you know, uh, hunting whales to extinction. But, it, you know, it's a, it's a more nuanced and general discussion about humans uh, abusing the resources of the planet and this is like this is not some documentary and it's not some indie movie (laughs) this was a big budget feature that was incredibly successful you know it was a only star trek movie for many years to make over a hundred million dollars what surprises me is that it has no legacy it surprises me that nobody ever thought oh we can do that I don't know, I'm reaching, but maybe maybe James Cameron, Avatar, but that really feels more like a, if it's a remake of Dancing with Wolves and Dancing with Wolves also has something to say, I don't know. But for the most part, we don't get this from Hollywood. And I'm just surprised whenever this shows that it can be financially successful, that Hollywood wouldn't just remake this movie a billion times. So Brian, you know, you mentioned the score and everything. Like, um, is there a story behind why they went? with uh, another composer. I think Nimoy Nimoy wanted something different, but I think he was also friends with him. Okay. They'd been friends for a while. Uh, But he did did want something different. He wanted this movie to feel very different. I mean, it does make that, the the music is is lighter and it it gives it a lighter tone. And he kind of inherited James Horner from Star Trek II when he did Star Trek III. You still get, you still get, you know, heroic Kirk. You get... um, there's that I like that extra little button there after they make it and they land in the water. Kirk has to go, you know, he's got to be heroic Kirk and swim through the water to, to release George and Gracie. Got to be some work with that hair and stuff, you know. What I mean? <laughs> well, they, I think they missed a marketing opportunity. <laughs> I think my favorite, my favorite moment in this whole movie might be the. 60 second sequence if that between spock and Sarek at the end your performance in this crisis has been you know any oh, most kind or whatever and then when he says when when Sarek says his his opposition to spock joining starfleet may have been an incorrect yeah may, he may have been incorrect and <laughs> what does nimoy do i think he just does there's no line he's just raises the eyebrow or something like wow but it but the whole you know it's 
it's all a very calm conversation, but it's it's huge for these guys. It's huge for Sarah. And it always makes me a little sad because I love that sequence. I love that moment so much. And it feels like they've finally found this common ground. He he respects his son and his son respects his his father. But then by the time we see him in Next Gen, you know, there's... A rift again. Yeah. And that always makes me a little bit sad. It, it like takes away from this moment in this movie because it's so perfect in this movie. Yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah, but to, you know, time, I mean, it's probably 75 years <laughs> later or something. I mean, they just, right. they go on so long, so it could have been a whole new argument, you know, but, but yeah, but I, that does say something for this movie too, that I think, I think that's, that's, that's why it, it, it does, it uh, strikes such a good balance is that it's got that comedic tone. It's, it's accessible, got all this stuff, but yet they do put in things that are for, the fans, you know, things that are, you know, we appreciate and because we know the characters and we know the history of the characters and they're, it's not like they just abandon that and do this big comedy show or something. Well, that sequence also is the reason um, I've heard people talk about, uh, you know, Nick Meyer, generally Nick Meyer wrote all the stuff that takes place in San Francisco in 1986 and Harv Bennett wrote all the stuff in the, in the future or current Star Trek time. So, I assume, I assume Harv Bennett wrote this this sequence between Spock and Sarek. And I've always heard people say that they don't think Harv Bennett is a very good writer. And I think that's that moment is evidence of, to the contrary. I think I think the he nailed those characters and the dialogue is perfect for each of them. And it's it's concise and brief, but in perfect for those characters. Well well even the um the quick scene between Kirk and um oh my god, I forgot the characters net um the whale biologist. That's a nice scene too. He kind of, <laughs> you don't see Kirk get turned down too often. She's like, oh, I'm going to go work. You know, you do your thing. Call me later. He does have an excellent understanding of late 20th century colloquialisms with the telephone show. You know, <laughs> I don't even have your number. That's pretty specific. Cause for example, I'm not sure what people were saying um, in the 1780s. Catherine Hicks. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think of that kind of thing too. Sometimes when when people do that, and I think, okay, how well do I know? Well, he's a regular savant. He must study that. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can give it to um to Spock. We can assume that 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 works. Right, right. That's pretty much it. But that's the other thing too. You know, this, this movie does it sticks to its own logic. I love that moment, like when um when Spock says. Uh, you know, only human arrogance would assume the message must be meant for man. There's just this, this, in this brief instance, you realize, all right, this probe is basically going to destroy Earth unintentionally, but that's what's going to happen. And there's not a soul on Earth that has been able to decipher this message. But our heroes, <laughs> right, right, only the Enterprise could save Earth. Yes, because it's got the perfect combination of personnel at the perfect time, in the perfect place, Spock was the one who figured out that message. Well, he figured out the message, or then the, the time travel, and didn't he figure out how to rejuvenate the dilithium crystals that Scotty said couldn't be done? So, yeah. But that's nothing to it. I mean, it's, it's kind of um, maybe script writing 101, but I like the way that it you know continues to add challenges. And if they, they overcome one thing, oh, we've we figured out that we need to 
get whales to respond to the message. We were able to go through time. Well, then you add another challenge, you know? Oh, the Klingon crystals have drained and time travel drained them. Uh, now we have to go to a Navy vessel to uh, siphon the nuclear power. It, it does a good job of of adding these kind of challenges and, and keeping the plot moving. But, but it does uh, stick to its own logic. You know, it, it uses, in the same way that, that if you think about Spock's coming back to life in Star Trek Three, it's bananas. But when you actually, it, well, it, it, it didn't break its own story. Like here, it, everything, hey, well, they had that, they had that bird of prey. That's what they were coming back in. And it happens to have a, a cloaking device that, say, the Enterprise wouldn't have had. So they could enter the Earth's atmosphere in 1986 and land there and people wouldn't see it. Yeah, okay, maybe nobody's, it's a coincidence, nobody's walking into the park, but it has a cloaking device. <laughs> they didn't have to. But it could la- actually land on Earth, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, also true, yeah. I got a quick question. So that, that's, that time sequence when they went when they went back in time, is that, are, are we in Kirk's head with that for all the little spacey, you know, water scene, you know, that kind of euphoric scene where they're going back in t- time and it kind of oh. fades into Kirk on the chair. And I'm like, was that, was that where, are we in, I couldn't figure out if we were in Kirk, that's what he was experiencing or was that just a, a montage for the audience? I guess I always interpreted it as this is what the entire ship and everyone is going through, but I can see how you, I can see how you would could interpret it as this is specifically Kirk's vision or something on that. I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I always like that sequence. There's there's a few sequences that when you've watched the movie a billion times, you start to think maybe this is too long. But they're really not. They're just because I've watched the movie a million times. Like going through time, that, that sequence you were just talking about, the full power descent to the whale ship, or... And when they come back and they drop the whales off and you're waiting for the whales to, to tell the probe what to go do with itself. Sometimes I, those kinds of sequences, I feel like, are just a couple of shots too long or a few seconds too long, but they're probably not. It's probably just I've, <laughs> I've watched it too many times. One last thing I want to mention. I really like John Chuck. I think he is great. He's only in one scene at the beginning of the movie, and yet you remember him. And they bring him back for a reason. He's really great. I don't. I don't remember. But you guys can tell me. Um, was the um, the new Enterprise was that known or was that kept secret? I can't remember. If that was a surprise at the end that they they saved. I don't think they gave that away in any trailers or anything. I don't think. I feel like I would have. I'm not remembering from the time. I'm just. I feel like I would have read about that or something. Yeah, I believe that was kept relatively safe. That secret. Uh, what is this movie about? Well, they get into a lot of different layers in this film that we've kind of touched on a lot. But um, I, I think the main crux of what this movie's about for for Star Trek, it's you know, it's a it's about this crew and this this cast of characters that have been you know doing this for a couple decades now via television and now on the big screen, and you know they've kind of just you know finished this you know trilogy, if you will, um, and and that shows in the film. Um, Maybe, maybe in real life they weren't all close with each other, but in this film they it, it, they were really able to kind of capture the chemistry of um, why we love each of these characters and how they gel together on screen, and um, they're all really good together. And they, 
and a lot of this movie to me is it's it it culminates with this kind of this family oriented you know thing you know go back to Khan you know they they lost Spock search for Spock you know they all sacrifice their careers and and their lives to try and bring Spock back and then and then this movie you know we get um you know we get the the end of this the conclusion where the you know and like at the end of the movie they're all you know jumping in the water or having a good time um the the undertones about this movie there's obviously they're th- saying things about the environment um they're talking about how you know wasteful humans can be you know um illogical you know that line was you know you know, when she says, you know, who says the human race is, is logical because, you know, we do silly things. We, we, up till this day, we still do a lot of silly things. And that's, I think that's what this movie was trying to point out that, um, the wastefulness and, um, the arrogance of, um, humans in the way we're, we're trekking through on this planet can have serious effects in the future. And I think that's what they were trying to say. Yeah, I agree. I think the 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 big it, it's like so often we have these kind of like uh, the 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 large issue and the small issue, and I think here that the big issue, the big point is the notion of there. Yeah, like you said, there are consequences to our um, to, to our actions and our inaction, and not taking a, a long term view of things. I mean, that's definitely a point that they bring home in more than one way in this film. I also think that in the on kind of the micro level you have um as we've mentioned several times before the the chemistry of this group and going beyond just chemistry but the um the working together and and willing to take any risk to do something that's right you know it's like we we will you know in, in lieu of just saving ourselves we don't have to show up there we're basically going home to get arrested you know we're going home to get put away as far as we're concerned yet instead of just uh flying off and say well you know we got lucky here we of course you know take the take actions to try to try to save the day as as one would expect and i think as as we've said this what's so interesting about this movie it's it's so comedic yet we can there there's a reason why it's so good i mean it's 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 comedic and light yet it deals with heavy things and it does it well I think I think it's it's multi-layered, and I think I think it I think it pulls it off. I think it's I think it's really good. All right, let's do six degrees for Star Trek Four. Adam, yes. Brock Peters plays Admiral Cartwright. He also played Ben Sisko's father. On what season of DS Nine did he first appear as Ben Sisko's father? I'll tell you the name of the episode. It was Homefront. Um. Season three? Nope. Steve? Mm, four? Yes. Steve, I'm giving you a what I think is an easy question, but <laughs> you might not think so. <laughs> I just wanted to ask this. VJ Armitrage plays Captain Joel Randolph, captain of the Yorktown that has high hopes that his chief engineer can employ a makeshift solar sail to generate power to keep them alive. In which James Bond feature did he play VJ alongside Roger Moore? Double seven. Hmm. So so the character that was mentioning the solar sail played in a Bond film. Yeah, so he was a he was an international tennis star and he briefly had an acting career. Hmm. And 
that was he was in that one moment in Star Trek Four, but he had a much more featured role in a James Bond movie. Wow. Okay. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of one close around that time because I don't recall immediately. Um, the Living Daylights. No. And I said Roger, he played Roger Moore. Alongside you did say Roger Moore. Yes, you did. Uh, Adam? Uh, Octopussy. Yes, Octopussy. That's All great. Right. All right. When we tie. Yay. Yeah, you tied for the day. Look at that. All right. The Accidental Trilogy is in the can. Yeah. You know, they did a um, the only Star Trek movie that didn't have a comic book adaptation was Star Trek II. Many, many years after Star Trek II, I, uh, I don't know, a decade ago or something like that, maybe a little less, IDW did Star Trek II as a comic. And then I love that they did this. They put Star- the, the new Star Trek II comic book alongside the original Star Trek 3 and 4 comics in a, you know, like a, a trade, like a thick comic book, and put them all three together as the motion picture trilogy. <laughs> and then a couple times, Paramount has released, like, the motion picture, Star Trek motion picture trilogy, I think on DVD and then Blu-ray. But, I mean, they were just the same discs that were out before. But there, there's, there is a tiny bit of a recognition of these three movies <laughs> as uh, a trilogy just not a lot all right so let's see oh we got a we got a, we got a new trailer or no we got, no i know what it was we had the the comic-con star trek at home comic-con at home star trek panel yeah mm-hmm. which i tried to watch and then i quickly remembered why i haven't gone to comic-con in many years I, I wanted to see, this is not a complaint, more, it's great. I'm sure there are plenty of people that enjoy it. It's just not for me. I want to see, I want to see the creatives. The, the actors are great. I like the actors. They're good. But, you know, I'm way more interested in hearing about the stories that the writers are writing and, and you know, the, from the, hearing from the producers and all that. And that there was none of that. Every panel was just actors, you know, I think, or we saw Kurtzman for, a few seconds or something. And then, and then it was just panel of actors talking about, and they weren't even talking about like I, I would, I unmuted it every now and then and tried listening and they, they pretty much didn't talk about any of the new stuff with the exception a little bit of lower decks, but even that, I mean, it was, I don't know, it was just actor stuff. So they're, they're great, but it's, it just wasn't for me. Shockingly, after, as not as a part of the panel, but just yesterday, we got the release date for Discovery. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't say that, you know, last week, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, that's it's uh, October something, right? What is it? 15th. October 15th, right. So I only remember that because it's kind of near my birthday. So I was thinking they did oh, it for me. Go. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, I think um, probably a few days before October 15th, I will be renewing my CBS All Access subscription and binging lower decks <laughs> but yeah that that's that i'm looking forward to that that'll be exciting and that was uh, i guess that was all the news from this week um yeah so we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss star trek 5 woohoo <laughs> <laughs> the reason seat belts were invented for movie theaters right something like that um 
So that'll be fun. And uh, we hope you'll be back in two weeks to join us. And until then, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars. That's how people find us. We really appreciate that. Thank you again for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.